announcement from Brill Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you tuned into the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. Come on in, come on in, make yourself at home, have a seat. You're the white meat. I'm hung like planet Pluto, hard to see with the naked eye. But if I crashed into Uranus, I would stick it where the sun don't shine. Cause I'm kind of kind of like a Han Solo, Mama. Stroking my own Wookie on the root of all that The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Fuck it. Let it burn, baby. It's time for the ravings of a cloud. We don't need no water. Let the motherfucker burn. Burn, motherfucker. Burn. It's so cathartic, isn't it? Ah, it just feels so good. Yeah, shake it off. Just, you just fucking... You understand what I'm saying? Yo, yo. Yo, yo. All right. Hey, good evening. Welcome to the show. It's uh, Wednesday, April the 9th, the year of our Lord, 2008, and I am your humble host, the Jester, and you've stumbled upon the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio, and uh, we're so glad you did because such a show we have for you uh, this evening, as Grandma Jester would say, 
featuring uh, choice selections from an historic event. I don't know if many of you realize it, but today is a day that will live in infamy. Literally, the shot heard around the world. Anyway, now's the time to uh, pour yourself a glass of something, something. Maybe a frothy, co co cool brew. Or a lovely glass of uh, vino, if you're abroad. If you're like me and you don't have those uh, brain cells to spare, now's a good time to pack yourself a uh, heaping bowl of fresh green. Kids are asleep. Grandma's tucked in. So just go ahead and fill up that bowl. And, uh, you know, in case you're, you, you had the, the dirt weed out because your brother-in-law was over, could pull out the good stuff now. Now's the time. Treat yourself. Uh, feet up, head back. Uh, you do have head back permission for the duration of the show for the next 120 minutes. You have uh, my full permission to uh, keep your head back in a reclined position. Just point it up towards the ceiling. And if anybody has any questions, just tell them it'll have to wait till after the show. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what the historical significance of the day is. Shortly for now, I want to remind you that the Jester Radio chat room is uh, open. Um, and I happen to be hanging out in there. Why not stop by and say hi? It's so easy to get into. Just simply uh, pop over to... Uh, www.jesterradio.com keeping in mind all the while there are two R's in that URL don't be don't be fooled and when you arrive you simply want to click on the uh, link that says uh, chat and follow the instructions from there I'm sure you can handle it having a hard time lighting my own bowl because I can't find uh, my lighter so luckily, I always keep a box of spare matches, so why don't you join me in a uh, lovely toke. And remember what I said about the good stuff. All right, let's go. Oh, my. My, my, my. You know, there's something... Extra special when you light it with a match, too. Wooden match. Not a paper match. Gives it a kind of a... Kind of a dignified uh, uh, air to it. Doesn't it? Time to turn our attention to the headlines. From High Top Jazz Radio Studios. A secret location outside your universe. The Olympic torch was rerouted away from thousands of demonstrators and spectators who crowded the city's waterfront today to witness the flame's symbolic journey to the Beijing Games. There's always somebody in the crowd who, like, you know, makes like a whining sound and says, Oh, these protesters have to spoil everything. These darn protesters, we wanted everything to be just perfect, and the protesters had to come, and they just spoil everything. This is not the time and the place. This is not the venue. These are young athletes. They're not, they're not political. This has nothing to do with politics. You know, if you live in a world where you could say anything has nothing to do with politics, 
then you're not living in the same fucking world I am. Because everything has to do with politics. And what's more, people should be celebrating the idea that people are protesting. They should route parades towards the protests. Imagine how people would feel if everybody gave all everybody's concerns an honest uh, airing and listened. Imagine what kind of fucking world we would be in where we celebrated uh, the individual's um, right to speak out against the, you know, anything that he thinks is wrong. And we say, well, gosh darn it, I disagree with you know, your, your philosophy, but I applaud your, uh, your, your uh, fortitude and, and courage to come forward and, uh, and state your case uh, honestly and openly. And imagine, imagine such a fucking world. Faced with massive crowds of both pro- and anti-Chinese protesters, the planned closing ceremony at the San Francisco Bay waterfront was canceled and moved to San Francisco International Airport. Last-minute changes to the route and the site of the closing ceremony were made amid security concerns following chaotic protests over the torch in Paris and London. But meanwhile, they didn't reroute them in Paris and London. Officials effectively prevented many spectators who wanted to see the flame from witnessing the historic moment. Yeah, what about that? What about the fact that relocating it fucked it for all the people that were there just to witness it, to enjoy it, the once-in-a-lifetime experience with their kids? How about showing China how it's fucking done? How about that idea? How about instead of kowtowing, this is still the United States? How about instead of sucking China's balls on this. How about saying, no, we're going to show you how it's fucking done. We march down the street and people that have something to say, they speak right out in this fucking country. They hold up signs. They say shit. They talk to each other. They talk to the media. And, you know, they buy a lot of bottled water. That's the way we fucking roll. Wang. You know, I was going to say Jack, but... The last-minute changes to the route... Uh, were made security concerns. Uh, Mayor Gavin Newsom told Jester Radio that the well-choreographed switch of the site of the closing ceremony was prompted by the size and behavior of the crowds amassing outside AT&T Park. There was a disproportionate concentration of people in and around the start of the relay, he said, in a telephone interview while traveling in a caravan that accompanied the torch. Less than an hour before the relay began, the officials cut the original six-mile route nearly in half, and at the opening ceremony, the first torchbearer took the flame from a lantern brought to the stage and held it aloft before running into a warehouse. A motorcycle escort departed, but the torchbearer was nowhere in sight. Officials drove the Olympic torch about a mile inland, handed it off to two runners away from protesters and media. They began jogging toward the Golden Gate Bridge in the opposite direction of the crowds awaiting its passing. Further confusion followed when the torch convoy apparently stopped near the bridge after heading southward to the airport, uh, as the flame uh, traveled to the airport, news dribbled through the crowds of more than 10,000 spectators and protesters gathered at the waterfront that the torch wasn't coming. Spectator Dave Dummer said he was disappointed. That upsets me, Dummer said. My back hurts from standing around on this lumpy sidewalk. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and other people messed it up by protesting. There you go. People messed it up by protesting. You know, anytime you hear people say, why does everybody have to fuck up my perfect, uh, you know, there's something really wrong going on there, man. They're, they're, they're not hearing what those people are saying. 
So uh, the, the the get a fucking clue. The best way to make somebody go away is to listen to what they're saying. So not ignore them. That's the best way to get somebody to come back. There were signs of tension even before the torch. And, and this is the kind of fucking generation we're breeding. A bunch of people who blame the protesters, not the cocksuckers that make these, um, you know, uh, ridiculous fucking uh, sign these, you know, uh, packs and blood with fucking Satan by um, allowing China to host the Olympics. It's a fucking outrage. The world should be punishing China. Not sucking their ass. There were signs of tension even before the torch relay began. Pro-Tibet and pro-China groups were given side-by-side permits to demonstrate, and representatives from both sides spilled from their sanctioned sites across the major street and shouted each other noise uh, nose to nose with no visible police presence to separate them. At least one torchbearer decided to show her support for Tibetan independence during her moment in the spotlight after being passed the Olympic flame. Majora Carter pulled out a small Tibetan flag that she had hidden in her shirt sleeve. How do you like that? Chinese security and the cops were on me like white on rice. It was no joke, said Carter, 41, who runs a nonprofit organization in New York. They pulled me out of the race, and then the San Francisco police officers pushed me back into the crowd on the side of the street. There you go. That's That's how we treat protesters in this country. By the way, very similar to what they do in China. Only they take them away and nobody ever sees them again, but... America's war commander in Iraq told Congress today that he's unlikely to endorse any fresh buildup of troops, even if security in the country deteriorates, signaling that the limits of the U.S. military have been reached for now. So this Petraeus, even though he's been basically the you know Bush puppet in, in Iraq all this time, even he can't bring himself to say um, that he would endorse uh, sending more troops to Iraq. General David Petraeus, closely questioned by lawmakers for a second day, described Iraq as a a frail state, still struggling to provide its own security, that the volatile situation figured in his recommendation to President Bush that a gradual pullout of U.S. troops be halted this summer, a recommendation Bush is expected to embrace in a speech tomorrow. But Petraeus also spoke of the burden on U.S. ground forces, and Bush will address that too. In his speech at 11.30 a.m., Bush will announce plans to cut the combat tours of active duty soldiers from 15 to 12 months. The reduced deployments will not apply at least initially to any soldiers currently serving in Iraq, unless conditions approve to the point that commanders believe some could go home early. Early! (laughs) If they left last year, they wouldn't be going home early. Petraeus said, I'm keenly aware of the strain on the military, noting his own deployment there since 2001, uh, I can tell you there's nothing that a commander feels more uh, than, in fact, his losses, losses we have sustained over there. Uh, the resistance to the idea of any renewed increase of troops for Iraq reflects, at least in part, the reality that the rotation pool of some 1.3 million soldiers and Marines has been exhausted. Army soldiers in particular have faced repeated tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. Senior officers warn that the service's strategic reserve is at an all-time low, all-time. Meanwhile, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Mike Mullen, says the current troop commitments in Iraq make it impossible to send extra forces into Afghanistan. So there you go. It's not even a possibility. So he's making the recommendation, as usual, uh, based on the facts before him, not on what he's 
would prefer to do. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jest Radio this Wednesday, April the 9th, uh, the year of our Lord, uh, 2008. And um, today is the day, of course, uh, the, the, the terrible, awful day in history that uh, the Beatles announced that they were breaking up. And a lot's been said about it over the years. Um, you know, some people blame Yoko, and some people say it was John who was was all his idea, and he told Paul uh, two weeks before that he was, you know, leaving, and that Paul just sort of was trying to preempt uh, John's announcement so he can promote his crappy album. Let me tell you what broke up the Beatles, and this is an indisputable fact. What broke up the Beatles was Paul's public announcement on, on April 10th, that's tomorrow, in uh, 1970, that the Beatles would never work together again, and the subsequent lawsuit that he filed against the other three on December 31st, 1970. Until then, no matter what they said privately to each other, all their public statements conveyed the message that the partnership was to continue indefinitely. And in the fall of 69, after Abbey Road was released... John told Melody Maker uh, that after Get Back was going to be released in January, we'll probably do another one. So that was what Lennon said. In February of 70, he told Rolling Stone, we still might make Beatles product, but we need more room. The Beatles are just too limited. That's where the trouble is, he said. He told the New Musical Express, uh, it just depends on how much we all want to record together. He said that trying to accommodate everyone's songs on one album was the main problem. Too many uh, cooks. Uh, Ringo told NME in March of 70, everything is fine. I've got things to do. George's got things to do. Paul has his solo album. John has his piece thing. We can't do everything at once. George said in the same article, uh, you know, say we've uh, got unity through diversity because that's what it is. We have to find ourselves individually. Um, one day. And when John Eastman, who was Paul's brother-in-law and his lawyer, uh, announced on uh, April 7th that the release of uh, Paul's solo album was coming out, McCartney, uh, it meant, in essence, the end of the Beatles. And Apple spent three days denying it uh, before it was reluctantly released on Paul's demand. The self-interview, this little speech that he made, that made the split official. And on that day, uh, Apple also released a statement on behalf of the Beatles that read, The world is still spinning, and uh, we are here, and so are you. And when the spinning stops, that will be the time to worry, not before. The Beatles are alive and well, and the beat goes on. You're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio, coming to you from a secret location outside your universe.
Descending A minor, sort of like a slowed down uh, smoke on the water. The Beatles there on Jester Radio, uh, George Harrison actually, but uh, put out on a Beatles uh, album. Uh, I look at the world and I notice it's turning, and my guitar gently weeps. With all these mistakes, we must surely be learning. Still, my guitar gently weeps. Beautiful lyric. Hanging in the Jester Radio chat room with Lulu. Why not stop by and say hi? 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air. 
with your old pal, the Jester. 646-502-8600. Come on, let's hear from you. If you got something to say. If not, you know, just stay, stay at home. Business trips and vacations were disrupted for tens of thousands of travelers today as American Airlines canceled more than 1,000 flights, nearly half its schedule, to fix faulty wiring that could cause a short circuit or even a fire and an explosion. It was the latest and largest in a wave of cancellations at major U.S. airlines that have caused long lines at ticket counters and made flying even more stressful than usual. Now is not a good time to fly, if ever there was. You know, I heard somebody talking about taking the... Uh, train car, the car train thing, which to me sounds cool. They said it was kind of a, uncomfortable because it's still a train, even though when you get off, you got your car there. That's good. But it's still a train, you know, going from like Florida to New York on a train. Executives at American said safety was never compromised. They suggested that the nation's biggest airline was the victim of suddenly stepped up scrutiny by federal regulators, so it's not their fault, just the, the feds are getting extra nosy. American estimated that more than 100,000 travelers were booked on the canceled flights. Now, th th that sounds like a, something terribly wrong with that number because over 1,000 flights were canceled, so they, are they suggesting that on average their flights carry 100 people? Because that would make 100,000. The flights I'm on carry fucking 300 people. It sounds to me more like a quarter of a million people uh, were thrown out on the street today. American estimated uh, more than 100,000 travelers were booked on the canceled flights. Many had to scramble to book new flights and were stranded at hotels far from home. Again, this number, when they say many had to scramble, I would say the you know uh, vast majority, at least half, were scrambling because they were on their way back. Isn't that the average, that on average 50% of the people are going home? And I mean, it wasn't Thanksgiving today. It was just a regular Wednesday. The airline had already scrubbed 460 flights yesterday after federal inspectors found problems with uh, wiring work done two weeks ago during the first set of shutdowns. The top executive said the cancellations would be a significant cost to American uh, which fell 11.1% uh, down a uh, buck 15 to 9.17. The issue stems from an order that the FAA gave airlines on September 2006 and gave airlines until last month to meet. So they had two fucking years to do it. About the bundling of the wires and the backup power system for the fuel pump of the MD-80 airplanes, uh, the fear is that the improperly bundled wires could rub against each other leading to an electrical short or a fire. However, no serious incidents uh, have been blamed on the bundle. So the FAA is grinding to a halt a quarter of a, mil a million Americans uh, because of something that may happen that's never happened. There you go. Republican Senator John McCain refused today to rule out a preemptive war against another country, although he said it would be very unlikely. Uh, you know, I'm all for the... Uh, philosophy that if a guy is running towards your house uh, with an axe, that you don't have to wait until he's through the door before you start blasting. Uh, if you get out on the front stoop and you start blasting, it, that's okay, because it's clear what his intent is. So, for example, if I were a country like, say, Israel, and there was another country like, I don't know, say, Iran, 
whose president stands up before cheering crowds on a regular basis and says, let's get rid of Israel, and then is uh, quite obviously and notoriously uh, creating a nuclear weapon program, I would say that that qualifies as a man running towards your house with an axe. Clearly. But short of that, um, obviously Sodom was not targeting any U.S. targets. Sodom had nothing to do with 9-11. Although, uh, my understanding is that you know some 50% of Americans think he did. So the Bush administration did a good job there on the uh, you know doublespeak. The likely uh, Republican presidential nominee was asked today at a town hall-style meeting if he would reject the Bush doctrine of preemptive war, a reference to Bush's decision to invade Iraq without it having attacked the United States. I don't think you can make a blanket statement about preemptive war because obviously it depends on the threat to the United States America faces, McCain told his audience at Bridgewater Associates, a global investment firm. If someone's about to launch a weapon that would devastate America or have the capability to do so, obviously you would have to act immediately in defense of the nation's national security interests. McCain said he would consult more closely and more carefully, not with every member of Congress, but certainly the leaders of Congress. The Iraq war was in the spotlight this week as General David Petraeus, the top U.S. commander there, gave Congress a status report on the war. McCain argues for keeping troops in Iraq to capitalize on security gains despite a recent outbreak of violence. His domestic rival Senators Barack Obama and Hillary Rodham Clinton argue for getting the fuck out. The Bush administration announced new steps today to help more homeowners head off foreclosure, clashing with lawmakers in both parties who want the government to step in with a broader housing rescue, uh, scrambling to counter Democratic calls for a large federal housing uh, aid package. The administration said it would use an existing federal housing administration program to enable more low and moderate income homeowners to refinance into government-insured mortgages with monthly payments that they can afford. If a more modest version of a concept, Democrats had recently been pushing to respond to the housing crisis, which would have the FHA back uh, from $300 billion to $400 billion in restructured loans for distressed borrowers if lenders were willing to take a substantial loss in the mortgages. The administration's idea, however, would reach far fewer borrowers than the Democratic's proposal, roughly 100,000 uh, rather than between 1 and 2 million without requiring lenders to take any losses. Representatives Barney Frank, uh, the Democrat from Massachusetts, the Financial Services Committee chairman, opened a hearing on his broader plan by noting sarcastically that the timing of the administration's proposal was a remarkable coincidence. He later said that in light of repeated warnings by the Fed Reserve economists about the consequences of inaction, uh, President Bush appeared to have realized that stonewalling wasn't going to work. Frank told regulators that the plan was a recognition that some government action was needed and that it should start with lenders taking losses on distressed loans. Anyone who thinks we should do nothing, he said, will have to deal with me and the Bush administration. Of course, you know me. I'm not sure um, if I like either one of these morons' side of it. I don't like the idea that people who run the fucking businesses have to take it on the chin because the regular guy fucked up. Uh, I don't think we should bail out, um, you know, people just because they're hardworking Americans. If they fucked up, it's their fault, not the company's fault. Uh, but on the other hand, 
the 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 um, the speed and fervor to which this administration runs to um, have the regular guy take everything on the chin is disturbing, and um, not ask you know business to to participate uh, in any way. And what's more, the industry itself is culpable. It was the industry that uh, created these um, subprime loans. Um, that were meant for people with really good credit, and then they gave them away to every fucking money you know, that came down the pike because they're easy to sell. They're low-interest uh, mortgages. So um, you know, they're really easy to sell to people. So, but, of course, the reason that they're so low is because they're intended for people that only pay their mortgage on time. Lawyers for a polygamist sect that's the subject of a massive child abuse investigation argued in court today that although its members' multiple marriages and cloistered ways may be unusual, they have a right to their faith and their privacy, and they have a right to beat and rape their children. I, I added that, but that is what they were doing. Jerry Goldstein, a San Antonio lawyer representing the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also told a judge that the search of the temple in the sect's West Texas compound is analogous to a law enforcement search of the Vatican or other holy places. He likened his, uh, his church to the Vatican. Goldstein asked the judge to throw out at least some of the search warrants as unconstitutional, but failing that, urged authorities to handle documents seized with respect. Prosecutor Allison Palmer counted that the purpose in seizing the documents was to uncover evidence of criminal activity, not to malign the religion. State troopers and child welfare officials began a search of the FLDS compound in El Dorado last Thursday after a 16-year-old girl there called the local family violence shelter to report that her 50-year-old husband beat and raped her. So she's 16, he's 50, and that wasn't enough that he got a 16-year-old chick to fuck, but he had to beat her up and rape her, too. The search warrant covered all documents related to marriages among sect members, including photos and entries possibly written in family Bibles. Authorities have issued an arrest warrant for Dale Barlow, uh, who's believed to be in Arizona. Uh, Barlow, he's 50 years old. He was sentenced to jail last year after pleading no contest to conspiracy to commit sexual conduct with a uh, minor. He was ordered to register as a sex offender for three years while he was on probation. Child welfare investigators said their interviews with 416 children and 139 women uh, who've been removed from or left the compound since the raid began revealed that the girls were required to enter into spiritual and polygamous marriage. Uh, They call it spiritual because it has no legal basis, but in their community it has every legal basis. So they can no more get out of that marriage, their spiritual marriage, than, uh, you know, any Catholic woman could get out of her marriage. Um, the, um, the recognized by the church, but forbidden, of course, by Texas law, which met with much older men for the purposes of uh, producing progeny. Boys were raised to perpetuate the cycle. The affidavit signed by Chief Inspector Lynn McFadden detailed the 16-year-old's husband, uh, a rather hushed phone call, uh, but days after raiding the West uh, Texas compound, officials still aren't sure which one she is, so she's keeping it hidden. In the crowd, she she busted open the uh, you know the the, the gates on this uh, thing, but she's she's laying low. 
You understand what I'm saying? You're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. He's a real nowhere man. I don't know if you saw that movie uh, where the Beatles music was used as the... I can't even remember what it was. It was just a montage of images for like an hour and a half. It was exhausting. But the Beatles music was used as the soundtrack. And uh, they showed pictures of Hitler during this song. He's a real nowhere man Sitting in his nowhere land Making all his nowhere plans for nobody Doesn't have a point of view Knows not where he's going to Isn't he a bit like you? on Jester Radio. When I was a kid, they used to do these dollar um, movies at midnight, which was just a way of getting all the kids in there uh, to smoke uh, pot. And it was just fucking Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, especially in the balcony, these theaters that had these dollar shows. And they always showed, like, um, Yellow Submarine and uh, Reefer Madness. <laughs> And all these movies that, like, goofed on anti-drug movies, you know. And um, anyway, you were usually tripping or wasted uh, when the movies were going on because you were passing the joint around in the theater. And when that song came on, on Yellow Submarine, it was like the first time they'd had stereo in the theater. Um, and, uh, you know, it starts out with that acapella, he, you know, um, with uh, John Lennon, that searing 
um, vocal by John Lennon um, with the background, the sort of mellowed out, uh, you know, taking the edge off his voice, uh, voice of uh, Paul McCartney and George and, and Ringo doing the la 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 la's. It was just, it just, I tell you, man, it fucking blew my mind. I mean, I'm here to tell you, you know, 35 years later, it's the, I, I still remember it very vividly. You're tuned into the ravings of a clown on jest radio. It's that fateful night uh, that uh, Paul McCartney announced the end of the Beatles, and uh, we're honoring that. Not sure if we're um, pro or against, but obviously. Uh, it was the looking back. It was the right thing to do. Um, I can't imagine more Beatles stuff, and I was not one of those guys that went around trying to get them back together again all the time. You're listening to the ravings of a clown this Wednesday, April the ninth. Hanging in the Jest Radio chat room. Why not stop by and say hi? Six four six five zero two eighty six hundred gets you live on the air. Requests, go to requestthejesterradio.com. My personal email address is thejester at jesterradio.com. Please drop me a line. It's um, for my eyes only. Nobody else ever sees it. Most of the college students who get the mumps, um, who got the mumps in the big outbreak of 06, had received the recommended two vaccine shots, according to a study that raises questions about whether a new vaccine or another booster shot is needed. The outbreak was the biggest in the U.S. and shortly before states began recording a second shot for the kids back in 1990. Nearly 6,600 people became sick with the mumps, mostly in eight Midwest states, and the hardest hit group was the college students ages 18 to 24. Of those in the group, uh, because they're always rubbing up against each other, those kids, of those in that group who knew whether they had been vaccinated, 84% had had the two mump shots, according to the study by Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the state health departments. The two-dose vaccine failure started public health experts who hadn't expected immunity to wane so soon, if at all. The mumps virus involves a uh, uh, was a relatively new uh, strain in the United States, not the one uh, targeted by the vaccine, although there's evidence from outbreaks elsewhere that the shots work well against this uh, new strain. The research is reporting in tomorrow's new journal, New England Journal of Medicine note that the virus likely came from travelers or students from the UK where mumps shots are voluntary and there was a much larger mumps outbreak of that same particular strain. And they were, obviously when those students went to England, they were rubbing up against the English kids. So this is what happens. They share drinks and utensils. They fuck each other. Uh, and they, you know, they give each other the fucking mumps. And let me tell you, man, the reason these vaccines don't work is because vaccines don't work. Uh, somebody very, very smart, uh, much smarter than you or I, uh, when it comes to the body's immunity system, tells me that the whole premise of uh, the way vaccines work, creating an antibody which then fights off getting infected. So they infect you with a you know non-harmful uh, version of the virus which causes your body to create the antibodies for the real virus which then acts as a guard against it ever getting into you is a bullshit idea because there's seven major systems for immunity in your body, not the least of which is your actual skin, the largest organ on your body, 
Uh, and the um, antibodies that you create in your blood is, is just one of them. And you need really all seven to effectively fight off um, a disease. So just activating one by creating antibodies is stupid, according to this uh, particular experts and other things that I've read. And in fact, the shit that they put in these um, vaccines, especially the ones that they give the kids, fucking every 20 minutes now, some kid in America is uh, born with uh, uh, Down syndrome or, uh, or, or autism or some shit, uh, and they, they say it's, you know, it's all because of these vaccines. They have these toxic fucking chemicals in them. Some of them contain mercury. They're giving the children. A dethroned Miss Nevada USA agreed today to pay fines for five misdemeanor traffic violations in exchange for prosecutors dropping a charge of resisting arrest. Catherine and Katie Rees, 23, avoided trial by entering no contest, please. If she had had been convicted of the dropped misdemeanor charge of resisting arrest, she could have faced six months in jail. I'm just really glad this is over. It was a really traumatic experience, and I'm ready to move on. Reset outside the courtroom. That was actually a recording just then. She has a kind of gravelly uh, voice for a chick. However, Reese and her lawyer, Michael Cristalli, said they're considering filing a federal police brutality and civil rights claim against the two Las Vegas police officers who they allege broke Reese's front tooth when they slammed her against the hood of her car during her arrest uh, back on February 6th. Reese pleaded no contest to speeding, operating a motor vehicle without proof of insurance, driving with an expired registration, a suspended license, and a suspended registration. So I think they call, I think they call that the, the straight flush of uh, violations. She agreed to pay up to $1,312 in fines. Cristalli said Reese did not know that her license and registration were suspended uh, when she went to buy ice cream at uh, 3 a.m. She was stopped in a residential area several miles west of the Las Vegas Strip and complained that she had no phone and no way to get home after the police impounded her car. So really what happened was she went apeshit. She threw a fucking tantrum, and they busted her. It was only when she asked for assistance to get home that they initiated the arrest and used excessive force, causing substantial injury, Cristalli said. What's more likely is that she fucking started throwing her little fucking ass around, yelling, now how am I supposed to get home, you stupid cops? I went out to get an ice cream. How dare you fucking make me obey the law? The Miss Universe organization and co-owner Donald Trump dethroned Reese in December of 06 after uh, some pictures appeared on the Internet showing her making out with uh, another chick and exposing her left breast. And pulling down her pants to show her thong underwear at a Tampa party. So the, somebody had pictures of all this shit. So let me tell you, if you're doing this shit enough that they can actually catch you on on film uh, this many times, then she's probably just doing it everywhere. Look, I'm not even wearing underwear. Reese appeared in court 80 minutes late wearing a blue silk designer outfit and blue suede four-inch heels. Justice of the Peace, Joe M. Bonaventure accepted Cristalli's apology an explanation that Reese's tardiness was his fault, not hers. And, of course, the judge, the dr- wiping the drool off his chin, said, no fucking problem. Former Mississi- uh, Minnesota Vikings uh, great Carl Eller uh, was jailed today after allegedly fighting with the police after being stopped for possible drunk driving 
Heller was held on suspicion of driving while intoxicated, fleeing police and uh, assaulting a cop. Police inspector Mike Martin said officers in North Minneapolis saw an SUV speed through a stop sign and they gave chase. The SUV reached speeds of up to 60 miles an hour through the city streets. Martin said the SUV didn't stop until it pulled into Eller's garage at about 1 a.m. They said the officers asked Eller to get out of the vehicle. He refused at first, but he got out and threatened, uh, fought with the cops, throwing one onto the hood of the SUV. Police tasered the bro, but Martin said it had no effect, and they called for backup. This is an ex-football player. Uh, uh, When more officers arrived, they subdued Eller, took him to the Hennepin County Jail, uh, he refused to take a breath or blood test. He was a member of the famed Purple Pe- People Eaters in his 15 years as a defensive end with Minnesota from 64 to 78. He played in six Pro Bowls, all four of the Vikings trips to the Super Bowl. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2004. Martin said Eller did not request a lawyer when he was questioned, and it was unclear if he had uh, hired one. One of the cops involved in the arrest was treated for a black eye and some bruises. Back in 06, Eller was charged in the suburb of Golden Valley with driving under the influence. He later pleaded guilty. He's acknowledged uh, his history as a substance abuse, uh, a substance abuser. He became a treatment counselor, and he spoke publicly to groups about the problems of chemical dependency. And now he's out getting fucking tasered for being wasted. Hey, you're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. Let me take you down because I'm going to Strawberry Fields. And living is easy with eyes closed, misunderstanding all you see. It's more of the Beatles on JR. Let me take you down because I'm going to Strawberry Sometimes think it's me The 
yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Somebody calls you. You answer quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope eyes. Cellophane flowers of yellow and green towering over your head. A girl with a sun in her eyes, and she's gone. Rocking horse people eat marshmallow pies. Everyone smiles as you drift past the flowers that grow so incredibly high. Newspaper taxis appear on the shore, waiting to take you away. Climb in the back with your head in the clouds, and you're gone!
so on a train in a station with plasticine porters with looking glass ties suddenly someone is there at the turnstile the girl with kaleidoscope eyes on Just a Radio. Started that set with Strawberry Fields Forever, a legend uh, in uh, two and a half minutes. Uh, we heard from Bill Shatner and his version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, which turns out wasn't about LST at all. And we wrapped it up with the flip side, uh, Penny Lane, the barber shaves another customer, and the children laugh at him behind his back. 
and another sort of wordplay there from John Lennon that was, you know, sort of typical of the earlier uh, Beatles with that kind of marchy, um, I guess they called it uh, Teddy Boy sound in England that, you know, we heard in years before from the uh, new vaudeville band and uh, Herman's Hermits and uh, that kind of rigid um, uh, marching band kind of sound that was typical of early British pop. And uh, there was a play. There was a place out behind my high school where everybody used to go to get high. This little um, hill, just over a hill, like a little gully, really, uh, behind where the soccer field was. And everybody called it Strawberry Fields. <laughs> Going out to get high at Strawberry Fields. I guess every high school in America back in the seventies had a Strawberry Fields. And speaking of Bill Shatner, you know. Um, I was just talking with uh, Lulu in the chat room about William Shatner, who did that um, version. She was saying something like, you know, what the fuck could he possibly have been thinking? And I, you know, went off into a rant about William Shatner because he's a fucking idol of mine. The guy is an amazing thing. He's just done everything. He's got brass balls. He's just some fucking, you know, Jewish kid from Iowa. He's a really just like a horse farmer. He really doesn't have a lot of interest in great acting. Uh, acting is to him, you know, a job. He does it well, but he does it for the money. He's really more about the raising horses and hanging out. Um, and uh, even now, you know, when I watch this show, the the best show on TV now, in my opinion, uh, after uh, uh, Gra uh, Amazing Grace is this uh, Boston Legal. And the moments that he spends on screen with James Spader is fucking unbelievable to me. I just watched it last night on the TiVo after the show. It's on Tuesday nights. And it's just brilliant. I can't not get enough. Every fucking moment this episode starts with him walking down the hall holding his briefcase, beautiful suit and tie, no pants. And he walks up to Candace Bergen and John Larroquette, and he just has this, you know, like, great little conversation, you know, completely, you know. Uh, and and John Larroquette says, are you wearing? He goes, what, that I'm not wearing pants? He goes, I'm not that far gone, you moron. He goes, but I, you know, but the, the, the choice of, you know, he goes, I was, uh, had an accident. I spilled my coffee on my pants. So the choice of either looking incontinent or looking insane, the uh, ch choice was obvious. And he walked away and John Larroquette was like, would you please go back to your office? And he goes, I can't be hanging out in my office. Life is a cabaret. And he fucking walked away. So I really do uh, love um, uh, William Shatner. Uh, we're talking about the uh, Beatles breakup. Somebody asked why we're talking about it on the 9th when it's really the eve of the 10th, the day that uh, Paul McCartney announced in the press, preempting John's supposed upcoming announcement uh, that the Beatles were breaking up. And, of course, it is the 10th in England. It's, uh, for four, it's after 4 a.m. right now. So all my uh, listeners who are listening in the U.K., um, and t to those in America that are wondering why we're talking about it on the 9th, shame on you, shame on you. Stop being so provincial. Even after the April 10th announcement, the remaining three Beatles were still publicly stating that the Beatles as an entity still existed, and there was a, you know, a temporary hiatus 
few weeks after Paul's announcement, Ringo told a reporter, quote, I just feel it in my bones that we'll probably all be recording together again before very long. How sweet and innocent um, a thing to say. George said there's every prospect that the Beatles eventually would work together again. Everyone this year is trying to do his individual album, but after that, I'm ready to go back to work again. Uh, in early summer, George, while working on All Things Must Pass, again said he expected that the Beatles would be working together possibly by the end of uh, that year. John initially had little response to Paul's announcement, saying only that Paul phoned me to say I've decided to leave the Beatles. Uh, it was good to hear from him now that I know that he's not dead. <laughs> Uh, which, of course, was a uh, reference to the uh, Paul is Dead hoax, that, that previous fall of 69. In the May 14th edition, uh, which I did a, a report on in fourth grade, in the May 14th edition of Rolling Stone, John made his feelings clearer. He said, quote, it's the simple fact that Paul can't have his own way, so he's causing chaos. I just put out four albums last year, and I didn't say a fucking word about quitting. So but that's not true. Of course, he threatened to quit every other day. But, you know, most folks uh, nowadays sort of are leaning towards the idea that um, he just said that. And he said a lot of shit. Uh, John was a really difficult person uh, to get along with. But, of course, John was the center of gravity uh, in the Beatles. So maybe that's okay. In June, Paul, through his attorney, began the slow process of dissolving the partnership, uh, raising the issue with uh, John via a letter later that summer. John refused to discuss the issue. Paul again raised it uh, during a meeting with the other three guys in uh, New York um, that October, and they said they wouldn't have any of it. Uh, McCartney filed suit finally against uh, Alan Klein and um, Paul... I mean, um, George, uh, John, and uh, Ringo on uh, December 31st, 1970, on New Year's Eve, asking that the Beatles and company be legally dissolved and that a receiver be appointed. In the meanwhile, with that, the Beatles were no more. So say what you will about the various arguments over guitar leads, drum breaks, girlfriends, but make no mistake, the facts are these. Paul went public and ignited the press firestorm that immediately erupted thereafter. He insisted on an immediate legal dissolution of the partnership, uh, igniting almost a decade of vitriolic court battles. Uh, and it's important to note that all of John's statements regarding the breakup, such as the fact that he, he'd, he'd actually left first, etc., were made after Paul's announcement and the subsequent you know, hard feelings that it generated. The bitter statements against Paul by the other three uh, that appeared in the court affidavits let no, left no doubt whatsoever as to who broke up the Beatles. And the ironic thing is that uh, a mere three years later, John, George, and Ringo split with Alan Klein and sued him. And if Paul had just bided his time, he'd have gotten what he wanted, um, which the problem was all along was Klein. You know, Paul wanted his, his new brother-in-law, uh, Eastman, to manage the group. And the Beatles might have been back in the studio by 75, or maybe not. It's uh, more of the Beatles' breakup night. Please don't touch that dial.
sorry. The continuing story of Bungalow Bill on Just Radio. The Beatles. The Liverpool lads. Thank you. Thank you. New York! The uh, back in the U.S., back in the U.S., back in the USSR. Before that, a lot of people are... Um, thank you. Uh, uh, did I do okay with the audition? A lot of people uh, are sort of confused by the meaning of that song. It's kind of a parody. It's another one of these brilliant Lennon word plays where he, imagine he comes into the United States and he goes, ah, back in the USSR. Because the United States was becoming more of a, a fascist state. He was being stalked like a dog. So, been away so long I hardly knew the place. Gee, it's good to be back home. Leave it till tomorrow to unpack my case. Honey, disconnect the phone. I'm back in the USSR. You don't know how lucky you are. And then it's got that Beach Boys. The Ukraine girls really knock me out. They leave the West behind. And Moscow girls make me sing and shout. And Joey George is always, always on my, 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 my mind. So it's like a little little satire spoof on um, how uh, really the U.S. was becoming more like a fucking dictatorship. The uh, Pentagon, you're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Jest Radio this Wednesday, April the 9th. The Pentagon uh, will issue a handheld lie detector uh, this month, the U.S. Army soldiers in Afghanistan pushing to the battlefront a century-old debate over the accuracy of the polygraph. This, by the way, you could get these gizmos like a shot per image, these handheld lie detectors. They're voice dress analyzers, and they calculate how many little micro mini quavers in your voice when you talk because it's something you can't control when you're, when you're full of shit. You're nervous, and you're like little tremulations in your voice. The Defense Department says the portable device isn't perfect, but it's accurate enough to save American lives by screening local police officers, interpreters, and allied forces for access to U.S. military bases, and by help, uh, helping narrow the list of suspects after a roadside bombing. So they just line everybody up. Did you do it? No. All right, next. We're not promising perfection, but we've been very careful in that, said Donald Crapall. You heard me. Special Assistant to the Director of the Defense Academy for Credibility Assessment, the uh, midwife for the new device. Uh, what we're promising is that if it's properly used, it will improve over what they're currently doing. But the lead author of a national study of the polygraph, this is the lead author of a study, a national study of how accurate polygraphs are, says that American military men and women will be put at risk by an untested technology. I don't understand how anybody can think that this is ready for deployment, said statistics professor Stephen A. Feinberg, who headed a 2003 study by the National Academy of Sciences that found insufficient scientific evidence to support using polygraphs for national security. Sending these instruments into the field in Iraq and Afghanistan without serious scientific assessment and for use by untrained personnel is a mockery of what we advocated in our reports. Another classic example of the government um, commissioning a report and then just ignoring what it says. They said the, these things don't work. Wh whoever it was that was pushing them sold the fucking generals. Imagine if you can, even with 30% accuracy, get, you know, prove people in the field are full of shit. Uh, it will be used only to supplement the current uh, techniques. But you know how these fucking soldiers are. They'll just, they'll use it like a breathalyzer. 
They don't know anything about subtlety and 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 using it to add to the. They, they'll just go, you know go by the machine. Hey, Sarge, the machine said he was lying. He was. They roughed him up. Yeah, but he's ninety-seven years old and pregnant. Twenty percent of scientists admit to using performance-enhancing prescription drugs for non-medical reasons. According to a survey released, did you have any idea of this? It turns out that the brainies are using drugs too, not just the athletes. The overwhelming majority of these med-taking brainiacs said that they indulged in order to improve concentration. 60% said they did it on a daily or weekly basis. You know, I mean, you know, I've done a lot of things in my life. I've competed in a lot of ways. I've tried to get ahead in business and life. I've never used any kind of performance-enhancing drug. Imagine how fucking desperate you have to be to really fuck up your body to get ahead. 1,427 respondents, most of them in the U.S., completed an informal online survey posted on the Nature Network web forum, a discussion site for scientists operated by uh, the Nature Publishing Group. More than a third said they would feel pressure to give their children such drugs if they knew other kids at school were taking them. How do you like that? They're willing to fucking slip their kids a Mickey. Who knows what the fuck is in these drugs? These are academics working in scientific institutions, said Ruth Francis, who handles press relations for the group. You would fucking think they know better. The survey focused on three drugs widely used um, and available by prescription or via the Internet. Ritalin, uh, which is a trade name for uh, methylphenidate, is a stimulant that's normally used to treat attention deficit hyperactive disorder, especially in kids. Uh, Modafinil, which is marketed as Provigil or Provigil, is prescribed to treat sleep disorders, uh, but it's also effective against general fatigue and, and jet lag. So people use it as, you know, like fucking snap you out of it. Both medications are common currency on college campuses used as study aids to sharpen performance and wakefulness. Doesn't seem to be causing too much trouble since most students use the drugs not to get high, but to function better, said Brian Doyle, a clinical psychiatrist at Georgetown University Medical Center. Uh, when exams are over, they go back to normal and stop abusing the drugs. Well, there you go. I think that's fine. Other experts expressed more concern about what the survey re uh, revealed. It alerted us to the fact that scientists, like others, are looking for shortcuts said Wilson Compton, directory, uh, Director of Epidemiology and Prevention Research at the U.S. National Institute for Drug Abuse. Ritalin, he said, can become addictive even if it's proven safe and effective uh, when it's taken as prescribed. Third class of drugs included the survey were beta blockers prescribed for cardiac arrhythmia and popular among performers due to their uh, anti-anxiety effect. Of the 200, I'm on it right now. Of the 288 scientists who said that they had taken one or more of these drugs outside of a medical context, three-fifths had used Ritalin, nearly half uh, Provigil. Only 15% were, uh, were the beta blocker types. Can you fucking imagine? You know, I went in for surgery one time, and right before surgery, I was talking with the surgeon, and he was telling me how his kids were reading the, wanted to read this new book that had come out that everybody was talking about um, called Harry Potter. That was very popular. But luckily, he was telling me, and you know, as I was being injected with drugs to be sent off to sleep, uh, luckily, he said, he read the book ahead of time. 
and determined that it had, you know, m much too much satanic influence, and he would never allow his children to read that. And with that, I drifted off to sleep, thinking this is not the guy I want slicing me from sternum to yachts. Hip-hop mogul 50 Cent, Universal Music Group, several other of its record labels were sued today for promoting a gangster lifestyle by a 14-year-old boy who says that friends of the rapper assaulted him. So to summarize what I just said, a 14-year-old sued 50 Cent because his friends assaulted him. The lawsuit filed by James Roseman and his mother Cynthia Reed says Universal Music Group, which is owned by Vivendi, uh, and its labels, Interscope Records, G-Unit Records, and Shady Records, bear responsibility for the assault because they encourage artists to pursue violent criminal lifestyles. This is what's known as the deep pocket lawsuit, where something happens of note, and you get a little momentum rolling, and you get yourself a lawyer, and you say, you look around and you say, who's the guy in this whole situation that's got the deepest pocket, and let's just fucking sue him. Let's make some shit up, stretch the fucking law, stretch the meaning of, you know, these uh, offenses until we could squeeze something out of it just to get a little fucking press, just to get on fucking Maury Povich, just to get bought off as a nuisance by these companies. All defendants declined to comment. Roseman said he was assaulted on a Manhattan sidewalk in March of last year by four guys, including Yayo and Fletcher, who apparently are friends of 50 Cent and hanging with 50 Cent made them aggressive. The lawsuit claims Roseman was targeted because he was wearing a T-shirt by Czar Entertainment. Now, see if you can follow this with me. They're a management company that represents The Game, and The Game is a former G-Unit rapper who fell out of the group and has now become a rival rapper because rap music is really more about the <laughs> the wrestling type of shit that goes on the soap opera of who's pissed at who and who dissed who, um, then it's about the music. In February, Yayo, whose real name, by the way, is Marvin, Marvin Bernard, uh, pleaded guilty to harassment and was sentenced to 10 days of community service. Fletcher pleaded guilty to endangering the welfare of a child and was sentenced to nine months in jail. The members of G-Unit, including defendants Yayo and 50 Cent, encouraged sanctioned, approved, and condoned its members threatening violence uh, and or engaging in violent acts in furtherance of its business. So they encouraged it. They sanctioned it. It was okay with them. They approved of it, which is the same as sanctioned it. They condoned it, which is exactly the same as sanctioned and approved. So they just basically did two things. They encouraged and sanctioned. And for that... They're going to have to pay. The attack on Roseman was intended to promote and maintain Yayo and 50 Cent's gangster image, which was promoted, marketed, and advertised by the record labels. So it's a vast uh, gangster uh, conspiracy. An Egyptian court convicted the uh, five guys today on charges of being homos and sentenced them to three years in prison. Defense lawyer Adel Ramadan said the judge found the men guilty of the habitual practice of debauchery, which is a, a term used in the Egyptian legal system to denote consensual homosexual acts. The convictions were confirmed by a judicial official who spoke on condition of anonymity. Homosexuality is not explicitly referred to in Egypt's legal code, but a wide range of laws covering obscenity, prostitution, and debauchery are applied 
to homosexuals in this very conservative country. The five men were arrested in what human rights groups describe as a crackdown on people with AIDS using the debauchery charges as a means to prosecute them. Four of the five men tested HIV positive. All of them were forced to undergo blood tests while in custody. Human Rights Watch says the New York-based rights group issued a statement yesterday signed by more than 100 other organizations around the world condemning the prosecutions. Ramadan, a lawyer for the Egyptian Initiative for Personal Rights, said the five guys were abused and tortured over the past seven months to extract conviction, uh, confessions from them. Uh, in addition to, can you imagine what Egyptian prison must be like? Can you imagine it would be like, I mean, seriously, think of the mechanics. You know how I am. My mind always goes to like the day-to-day. You wake up in the morning, every fucking bone in your body is aching from fucking starving, from being beaten, from having fucking car battery attached to your nuts, from getting boned up the ass by the other fucking debauchers who are in prison with you. Ramadan said that the four HIV-positive defendants were shocked by their convictions. Two of them cried, screamed, and shrieked. The other two remained silent, but I saw anger in their eyes for the justice, uh, the injustice that they had been exposed to. Ramadan said he appealed the verdict to Egypt's court of cassation, the country's highest appellate court. Dozens of human rights groups have criticized the trial and other similar ones as being driven by ignorance and fear of AIDS. They've warned that the convictions could undermine AIDS prevention in Egypt. The five convicted today were among 12 people arrested in a sweep that began back in October when police arrested uh, one man during an altercation with another guy on a Cairo street. After one of the men said he was HIV positive, authorities opened investigations into other men whose names or contact information were uncovered in interrogations of the first group of uh, guys. So they heard one guy had AIDS, they immediately convened a meeting and they said, who else has AIDS? Who have you been fucking? They just started rounding people up in a kind of, you know, Planet of the Apes style uh, hysteria. So there's your friends in Egypt. That's a friend of the United States. And let me tell you, I once had a girl, or should I say, she once had me. It's more Beatles on JR. Please don't fuck with that dial. Sit anywhere 
another triplet from the Beatles on Just Radio this eve of April 10th, uh, the day which will live in infamy. It was on this day in 1970 that Paul McCartney announced the breakup of the Beatles. That was Richard Starkey there. Not a bad effort, solo, first solo effort after the Beatles. Um, personally, you know, I've been, always been a kind of fan of Ringo um, in that he... I just love his fucking attitude. He just seemed to be very mellow, take everything in stride. Um, probably, you know, one of the more centered um, and um, rational of the four. And got into the, you know, least amount of trouble along the way. He may not have been a wellspring of talent, but not everybody is. He played his role in the family structure of the Beatles. Uh, you know, John Lennon was the, you know, a harsh uh, father figure. Uh, Paul, uh, George Harrison was sort of the uh, softer, calmer, feminine um, uh, character. Uh, Paul was the uh, brilliant um, and gifted and handsome son, and Ringo was the clown. And that was his role, and he was happy to embrace it. And he's been doing so to this day. He never really took himself uh, too seriously. Just the idea that he changed his name to Ringo Starr, which, because he was a big Cowboy Movies fan when he was a kid. Richard Starkey on Jester Radio. George Harrison, before that live um, back in uh, 71, after he uh, broke up with the Beatles doing Here Comes the Sun, uh, live with uh, his buddy uh, Eric Clapton. And we started that set with probably one of the last uh, great, typical Beatle tunes before they became the other, I mean, um, Sgt. Pepper Beatles, uh, Norwegian Wood, another cryptic uh, wordplay from John Lennon that has that uh, Teddy Boy kind of sound going for it so we heard a little something from george harrison and that was his contribution to the state of the art here comes the sun and uh, my sweet lord and um, my as my guitar gently weeps was really a george harrison's song that you know was a solo tune that was released on a beatles album and he contributed a great deal and then of course uh, before he died of a brain tumor just a couple of years ago he went on to uh, become one of the traveling wilburys and and did the uh, wrote and and um, soloed uh, led the um, got my mind set on you and uh, um, a, a bunch of other tunes for them great George Harrison tunes so he he contributed to the body of the art um, quite significantly Richard Starkey somewhat more he was did the Magic Christian movies with uh, Peter Sellers and produced a lot of movies and. Um, did some cool stuff and he's still playing out today so now let's give a listen to uh what paul and his new wife who are really the reason that the beatles broke up the two of them contributed to the state of the art paul mccartney and wings this is this is paul mccartney all those songs that were co-written by Lennon mccartney now you can tell which ones were written by paul and which ones were written by Lennon.
Hey, you there? You there? Uh-huh. Oh, there you are. Holy crap. Jesus Christ. It's Lulu uh, calling in on Jester Radio. How you doing, baby? I'm doing good. How are you? Turn up the microphone. Turn down those speakers. Okay. Whatever the hell you're doing, get closer to the microphone. Don't be like Raiden Square. And turn down those speakers. I can hear myself. You dummy. Turn down the radio. Hey, what's going on? You're a big Beatles fan, aren't you? I bet you remember that day they broke up, April 10th, 1970. It was like yesterday for you, wasn't it? Boy, it was like uh, sixth grade for me. <laughs> Which was the prime slice of their audience right then. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. I was just wondering how many of your... Um, Stop banging around, Louie. Stop banging. Just remain calm. And get close to the microphone and speak slowly and clearly into the microphone. Sorry, I missed everything you said after. Now listen very carefully. Go ahead. I said I was wondering how many of your listeners actually named their kids after the Beatles. Yeah, that's true. There was a lot of that going around for a while, wasn't it? I don't know. I don't know any kids named Ringo, but I know there was a lot of Johns and Pauls. Well, I have one friend, um, the one I want to have call you, whose son is named Richard George John Paul. No shit. Yeah. Really? Exactly. That's fucked up. Uh-huh. He just had his first child. He called her Lucy Diamond. Really? Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's a beautiful name. So yeah, that's true. How uh, how many other ways did they affect uh, the pop culture? Children were named after them. Holy shit! <laughs> so what was your memory of the Beatles when you were in sixth grade? Were you one of those girls that went out to the Shea Stadium screaming or uh, at the top of your lungs, fainting? No, swooning? never did. Never did. My cousins did. Because your parents didn't let you, or because you had no interest in. Nah, I was too young. Too young? Sixth grade? You were too young to go to a concert? Yeah. How old are you in sixth grade? Like Mm -hmm. 13 or something? No, like 11. 11? When did you start having sex? (laughs) Like like when you... (laughs) How old were you you when you lost your virginity? And that's important because... I'm just asking the relevant questions, Lou. This is my job. I have to, people want to know. I was 22. Wow. So that's why you wanted to go to the fucking Beatles when you were 11 years old. Because you were saving it for, uh, there you go. For the, for for whoever, (laughs) whoever got that precious gift, 22 years old. It was already, it was already on the downturn by then though, wasn't it? It had reached its peak. Prior to that, that's just sad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thanks for calling in, sweetie. That's Lulu calling in on Just Radio with her memories of the Beatles. And and in fact, um, the fact that uh, lots of people actually named their kids uh, after the Beatles. And (laughs) somebody named their kid uh, John Paul George (laughs) fucking Ringo. All at once, or Richard, Paul, John, George, which is the same thing. And that's, that's fucked up, because the kids will 
People know what that means. But uh, the other name, Lucy Diamond, I think that's a beautiful name. And uh, I know there's a lot of, you know, Beatles-inspired shit going on out there. So uh, we just heard a little bit from that song, Jet. Luckily, uh, Lou Ann called in and interrupted that. But it just it, it went downhill from there. Uh, it was just a lot of, Jet, I remember the thing in the smiling faces. It just... It was just it didn't even make sense, uh, and I know that the 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 only uh, I don't even remember the lyric. The only lonely face is on the moon, Jet. So there you go. <laughs> but meanwhile, now the master himself, the this fucking god among men, this brilliant um, songwriter, lyricist, artist, this pained tortured soul stepped forward not because he really wanted to but because it was the next thing to do the Beatles were were finished and it was time for John to put forth his solo um, selection and so we compare it to the here comes the sun with George Harrison and the photograph uh, of Ringo Starr or the jet or Monkberry Moon Delight of Paul McCartney, and now we have John Lennon solo on the guitar, a la Bob Dylan, and the first words out of his mouth are, as soon as you're born, they make you feel small by giving you no time instead of it all. Not what you think of as a Beatles lyric. Let's listen. As soon as you're born, they make you feel small By giving you no time instead of it all Till the pain is so big you feel nothing at all A working class hero is something to be Working class hero is something to be They hurt you at home and they hit you at school They hate you if you're clever and they despise a fool Till you're so fucking crazy you can't follow their rules Working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be When they tortured and scared you for twenty odd years Then they expect you to pick a career You can't really function, you're so full of fear A working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be Keep you doped with religion, sex and TV 
you think you're so clever and classless and free But you're still fucking peasants as far as I can see A working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be At the top they are telling you still But first you must learn how to smile as you kill If you want to be like the folks on the hill A working class hero is something to be They hurt you at home, they hit you at school, they hate you if you're clever, and they despise a fool. So you're so fucking crazy, you can't follow their rules. Working class hero is something to be. John Lennon on Jester Radio. That was from his uh, first solo album, Plastic Ono Band. You've been listening to The Ravings of a Clown this uh, Wednesday, March the 9th, on the eve of the day that the uh, Beatles split up for good. And although um, three of the four were apparently agreeable by all indications of historical uh, data, to someday working together, it seems that Paul, who had gotten himself a you know new American wife and a new American lawyer, and sort of um, saw himself as being you know this, the the center of the Beatles, um, which he always did, uh, decided that you know he was he had spent enough time uh, dragging <laughs> these guys around with him, and it was time to you know show the world where the real talent was. And there you go. There's an example of uh, where it went. It went with John. The Oregon State Police arrest drunk drivers on the road every day, but it's not often when the drivers show up drunk at the police office. <laughs> uh, troopers charge Ruby Ann Peterson, 42, of Newport, uh, Oregon, with driving under the influence of intoxicants after she came to work to clean the state police office. A trooper said she showed signs of being intoxicated after driving to the office with her 12-year-old son in the car. A blood alcohol test showed her level was at 0.19%, more than twice the legal limit. So they happened to have the gear right there in the office. You ever have somebody come to the office and you think to yourself, man, I could swear they're fucking wasted. How'd you like to just be, be able to whip out the breathalyzer? <laughs> And say, do me a favor, step over here and blow into the tube. She was also charged with reckless endangering another person. She had her kid in the car with her. And this is the story of the night, is that, you know, how far do we go? Uh, we take, you know, 239 children away from their parents, and the lawyer for the cult says, hey, you know, this is still America, and we have the right to raise our children any way we want. 
And the truth is, it's true. If they want to raise them and teach them these, you know, retarded fucking thoughts, that's their privilege. It may not, you may think it's child abuse, but it's not. Um, it is every person's right to raise their child as they see fit. Who's to say? Certainly not you or I. Unless, of course, the way they raise them reads, uh, 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 you know, sort of uh, reaches a um, um, an agreed upon, a previously agreed upon standard of what abuse is. If there's physical harm or emotional harm, and harm has to be defined. It can't just be the thought of a Christian saying that his uh, soul is damned. As far as I'm concerned, that's not real harm. That's just make-believe harm. Uh, any more than playing with Johnny will give me the cooties. I know that's not real, too. So, Harry Levinson might be the last person his neighbors would expect to complain about the assessment on his condominium. After all, he's the county assessor. But Levinson had asked the Nassau County Assessment Review Commission to knock more than $200,000 off the $502,080 value his own office set for his two-bedroom condo in an upscale Long Island development. If approved, the change would shave an estimated $1,700 off his $13,000 property tax bill for 2009. So you know how people always contest their property tax bill. They say, oh, you appraised my house too high. Here's a guy who did it, and it was he, his own office, that appraised. How fucking ironic. Levinson said he was simply trying to point up a clerical error that caused a 75% spike in his assessment. The County Board of Assessors, which he chairs, has asked the Review Commission to correct the problem for 1,600 condominiums, including Levinson's. But he said he filed a separate grievance because he wanted to be open about this. The assessor who collects a $166,300 annual salary and a $72,000 a year state pension for serving 27 years as a county prosecutor added that he expects to retire, sell the condo, move to Florida before the requested reduction might take effect and even affect his taxes. So the guy only makes you know, 230 grand a year, and then he plans to sell the house, which means that he would rather it be assessed at 500 than at 300 grand because he's going to use that money to fucking settle down. In Florida, the new owner will get the benefits, said Levinson. He's 68 years old, and he's finished, as Grandma Jester would say. Review Commission Chairman John uh, Pagulian said the assessor will be treated as any other taxpayer who happens to be the assessor. A retired police officer finally this evening who screamed obscenities at a train passenger who was talking on a cell phone and who hit the hand of another passenger who intervened was acquitted yesterday of misdemeanor charges stemming from the confrontation. This guy was fed up. I don't know if you've ever been on a bus or a train where someone's yakking away loudly on a cell phone. It really is, you know, back in the day when I was prone to anger, it really would upset me because it's very intrusive. I'm really not interested, and it's uh, sort of um, makes you think that the other person kind of wants you to hear, as if they think that they're impressing you with their conversation, which is even all the more annoying. John Clifford, who's also a lawyer, was found not guilty after a two-day non-jury trial at which he acted as his own attorney. He had been charged with misdemeanor counts of attempted assault, disorderly conduct, harassment, and attempted petty larceny and faced up to a year in jail if convicted. Manhattan Criminal Court Judge Larry Stephen issued his verdict immediately 
after closing arguments. I see no crimes having been committed beyond a reasonable doubt. The case is dismissed and sealed. The six foot four Clifford acknowledged during the trial that he was aggressive and overbearing when he approached Long Island Railroad commuters he considered rude for talking too loudly on their cell phones and for other behavior. During trial, Clifford, who's 60, admitted cursing at Nicholas Bender, a 19-year-old nitwit, waking up one girlfriend after another and slapping the hand of Lydia Klein after she slapped his when he reached for a business card she was handing Bender on the train from Long Beach to Manhattan's Pennsylvania Station on March 28th. Clifford, who retired as a police sergeant after 10 years in the job, said yesterday... He had been arrested eight times after being accused of throwing coffee, spewing expletives, and getting in the faces of people who he considered loud and rude on the commuter line. This was the only case that wasn't dismissed. So he's been doing this. He's been arrested eight times for jumping up in people's junk when they talk. He's like known as the fucking golem of the Long Island Railroad. It took a lawyer and an ex-police sergeant to stand up to, to public rudeness, Clifford, of Long Beach, Long Island said as he left the court. He said that unless lawmakers and the Metro Authority do something, the lack of public civility will persist. Asked what he regretted about his behavior, Clifford said, nothing. He added, I don't want anyone to think they can have a private conversation around me, but keep it private. Long Island Railroad issued a statement saying it was disappointed, but accepted the judgment of the court. Some of our customers feel as if they've been abused by Mr. Clifford's behavior, the statement said. We will not tolerate aggressive behavior by Mr. Clifford if he seeks to impose his own standard of conduct on others. We will not hesitate in the future to call on police if necessary to protect the safety of our customers and employees. Meanwhile, Clifford, who's a lawyer since 1984, has filed five lawsuits against passengers and against the uh, MTA, which runs the uh, mass transit system, for issues arriving arising from reactions to his rudeness. So he's suing them for how they treated him when he was rude. Clifford, formerly a security staffer for HBO, was fired after being arrested several times in connection with his uh, Long Island Railroad confrontations. He says he now plans to hang out my shingle again and practice law. So he went from lawyer to bouncer at HBO. They have this little studio on 23rd, like between 5th and uh, Madison. And, uh, you know, that's like where they shoot like their little HBO shows. So he was a, he was a bouncer there. And then uh, now he's going to go back to being a <laughs> lawyer. Hey, you've been listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio this um, um, the eve of the anniversary of the Beatles breakup in 1970. We've uh, discussed some of the reasons and the whys and the wherefores. I hope uh, you're now enlightened and you're not one of those people that blithely go around and say, you know, Yoko Ono broke up the Beatles or John Lennon. You know, I still hate Yoko. She was a terrible influence on the band and she certainly was instrumental in pushing Paul to the point where he was fed up. He was also fed up when he went to go see Lennon, and Lennon said he's thinking about, you know, breaking up the Beatles, and I think Paul, you know, went home and strategized with his with his lawyer brother-in-law, Klein, and said, you know, it's better, you know, if you're coming out with this new album on Sunday, go public with this, and everybody will make a fuss and just buy your new album. So... Uh, I think, and then he's, you know, filed a lawsuit against the other three. So I think that 
permanently set them on the path to never get back together again. I remember when I was a kid, um, I was picked up by Paul Simon hitchhiking one time, and he had a um, button on the visor of his uh, car, and it said, let it be. It was a white button with just black letters that said, let it be. And this was, you know, pre-computer era, era, so it wasn't as easy to, like, whip out your own buttons and stuff. So it sort of looked like a kind of a cool thing. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, you know, I'm part of this movement of musicians who are all trying to get the Beatles to get back together again. We call it Let It Be. So I said, wow, that's really cool. And, you know, looking back on that, um, it really makes you wonder why people would want to do that, would want to make people get back together. How, like, it, it kind of reminds you of, like, kids um, tricking their parents, their, bro- their broken up parents to get back in the same room uh, to try and get them back together. It like, seems kind of pathetic and sad. And the truth is, uh, the Beatles were a great thing and they were a great band. And, the, you know, because of um, all the shit around them and some of the people that they were dealing with, um, they had a tremendous influence on music, pop culture. Uh, as Luann pointed out before, people have even named their children after them. I don't even think there's anything higher honor than that. But the truth is, they were 99% vapid. They did a lot of uh, commercial crappy stuff. Um, their sound was really, really um, studio sound. They had no you know, live thing. Their longest live concert was 28 minutes at Shea Stadium in New York. They would do come out and do like a, a medley of their shit. Um, and it was painful to fucking listen to because people were screaming at the top of their lungs. They couldn't even hear themselves. And they finally decided to stop doing it after, you know, late 67 anyways, early 68, because it was a joke. And so they were, their sound was really all about the studio thing anyway. And um, that's, you know, that, that, that means, what does that mean? It means they're not, you know, the greatest musicians in the world. They certainly had their contribution. There's a lot of shit out there that's been influenced by them. But most of their shit was crap. On the other hand... The shit that John did um, for the remainder of his career was, by and large, brilliant. And he, in my mind, um, I think, was really the artistic core of the Beatles. And whatever else uh, Brian Epstein did and whatever else Paul McCartney contributed and whatever else uh, Tony Sheridan and Pete Best and George Harrison and all, all these people had an effect on the Beatles... I think when when we look back and we listen to the music, we realize it was a John Lennon band. And uh, so it goes. Thanks again for stopping by. Extra special thanks for those that called in um, to Luann and um, for stopping by the Jester Radio chat room. Uh, remember, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. It's not about you. And always do your best. We will meet in that place where darkness never comes. That is my solemn oath to you. Until that time, Eustace, let I'm it be. I'm supposed to giggle in the solo. Yeah. Okay. This, this is going to knock you out, boy. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking 
Send him out of darkness She is standing right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be 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 Whisper words of wisdom Let it be When all the broken hearted people There's still a chance for them to see There will be an answer Let it be Let's track it. <gasps> you bounder, you cheat! 